Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So I took my uh, dear old dad to the cinema the other day, Lorraine. We had a very nice afternoon, except, of course, it was spoilt. I know what's coming. Don't you? This is well, a rustling story, isn't it? Or a food story. It's a food story. So unfortunately, the man I was sitting next to had the most enormous bucket of popcorn. And I would say he munched through all the commercials, all the trailers, and about half an hour of the film. Munch, 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 rustle, rustle. And in the end, I, I went a bit Marion and I turned to him and I just said, is there any way you could just please stop eating? I'm quite proud of myself because he did stop eating. Would you have done that? No, I'd have probably passively, aggressively humped and hurrahed and <laughs> moved and juggled and got my phone out. Well, and I did all of that, all of that obviously. Didn't oh, work. You, there was a lead up to you saying, <laughs> Yeah, I was trying I've to. I've had enough. I did a few looks. I did a few. Uh, yeah, it just didn't work. And there were no seats to move to. And obviously, I didn't want to maneuver my 80 year old dad into another room. <laughs> So did you you did it nice and calmly, you see, because I would have got yeah. to the point where I'd have probably just been yeah. throttling him in, in front of everyone calm. else. He did look quite shocked. I didn't think he I don't think he wanted to cross Marion, midlife Marion. The rage of a midlife <laughs> woman is quite useful sometimes. <laughs> it is. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness, careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Trish, hold the front page because I have got pet news for you. Mm-hmm. Very good news because we only like to bring good news, don't we, on postcards from midlife? Because the actual news, a bit rubbish, isn't it? Yes, it is. There is a new spaniel in town. Ah, uh, you haven't traded in the yappy Welsh terrier pixel, no. have you? You haven't had him adopted and swapped him out? Her, her. Her. Oh, yes. Her adopted. Oh, my goodness. My old dad does that with my dog. It drives me mad. He always yes. calls Bridie him. She won't take it personally because most of the time, Trish, she's next door after escaping through a hole in the fence, terrorising oh, yes. next door's cat. Mm. I had to, to apologise for that again this week. No one would adopt her, quite frankly. No, I speak of news of one of our listeners' dogs. It's a puppy spaniel called Ollie. And... Um, Little Ollie has made a welcome appearance on the podcast private Facebook page because cast your mind back, Trish, mm-hmm. to November last year. We had a very sad announcement, didn't we? Because yes. our lovely listener, Debbie, Rufus, her spaniel, had died. Now, he was 13 and we had talked about him a lot. We'd actually mentioned him in Pet's Corner yes. on one of our episodes because he had some hysterical routines that Debbie had to go through in order to get him to take his medicine. Do you, do you remember that? Yes, I do. I do remember Rufus. Um, she called him a loving hooligan, <laughs> didn't she? Because he was so headstrong. And I remember Debbie told us she would pretend the phone was ringing with a message that Rufus had to eat his pills. And the call had a special ringtone for some reason. And <laughs> it would actually encourage him to morph his food down. I mean, madness. it's quite it mad, madness. isn't it? Yes. Well, now Debbie has got Ollie. And she put a picture of Ollie on the Facebook page and she wrote, losing Rufus was the worst grief I've ever known. Without even suggesting I'm over it, along has come this little chap, aged seven months, needing a home, Ollie. He's a very different character to Headstrong Rufus. Um, He's been here precisely three days, during which time we've had to have eyes in the back of our heads, but our house is a home again. He's very cute. Have you seen the picture? He's He's gorgeous. cute. Yes. All our listeners' dogs are lovely because there was then a thread under that Facebook post (laughs) lots of pictures of dogs that 
Dogs that make a home a home, Trish. I Definitely. think you've got the word with Margot, that cat, about uh, raising her game when it comes to giving yes, back. Yes, I don't think she'd probably want to raise anything except one of her furry eyebrows in total disdain. But uh, I think she'd be more impressed with this other post on the group from Nadine, because Margot is more of a, a fighter than a lover. Um, dogs are lovers, aren't they? Mm. They're very, very loving cats, not so much. But anyway, Nadine posted a picture of herself fighting. She wrote, I train Muay Thai, which is a Thai boxing. And uh, at my last fight, I was approached by a few ladies saying how fab it was to see someone of my age in the ring. I felt so honoured and proud to be flying the flag for us older ladies. And I have now started an Instagram page in the hope of showing we still can. I'm following that. It's Armour Fight Club, A-H-M-A Fight Club. It's very impressive what Nadine's doing. I'm quite excited about that because I, I quite like the idea of Thai boxing, Trish. Mm. I used to have a personal trainer who became one of my best friends, uh, Kathy Brown, and she was world bantamweight boxing Ooh, champion. And serious. she said that I had this kind of malarkey inside me, Trish. She said it was possible. <laughs> I could be the female Anthony Joshua. Look at me. Look at that. You just can't see it behind my puny little arms. <laughs> puny little arms. But yeah, you'd probably forget where to go for your fights, wouldn't you? You'd forget yeah. to turn up. That kind of Brain thing. Brain fog would be a problem. You're not good with the diary. All the brain fog bloopers. But um, you'd be like another Debbie. We have more than one Debbie on the Facebook group who posted this corker of a memory lapse this week. She wrote, walked home from work only to remember I'd driven in this morning, had to go back for the car. I've done it. I've done it from the supermarket. But I think it's because I just hate driving and I'll do anything to avoid getting in a car. But you know what? I tell you who could walk anywhere now. The amazing Jeanette, who's just climbed Ben Nevis, Trish. She popped it on the Facebook page and she said, well, we did it. 10 hours, 46,700 steps, 2,934 calories. Ben Nevis, you nearly killed me. And that was just on the way up. I would like to know how Jeanette's knees coped (laughs) on the way down, because I think going down is much harder. Going downstairs is a little bit tricky now mm. and again with the knees, isn't it? Going down um, yes. It reminds me about what I've just done for us, Trish, because I've sent oh. our uh, application in. Oh, my God. You're not going to make me swim across Lake Geneva or something ridiculous like that, are you? Because I am still, I feel like I'm still recovering from the time you made me go in the lake at Blenheim Palace in the pouring rain. You were very brave, actually. I was very <laughs> impressed. Well, I was a bit inspired by Cathy and Tricia. Winning, they won the yes. race across the world and they oh were they were God. midlifers in their 50s. They've been friends for years. Yeah. And I'm always trying to get you to do that RV trip across America, yes. which I know you don't want to do. Um, so uh, I've entered us, Trish. Listen, how do you think we'd get on? Because obviously I'd have the map upside down, forget where I was, and I'd be really worried that someone was going to make me eat beetroot at some point along the route. What do you think? Do you think we would well, win? I I think we give it a good go. I think we might struggle with those massive rucksacks that we have to carry everywhere. They'd be bigger than us, wouldn't they? They would. We are quite short. (laughs) Yeah, that's my only worry. All the rest of it. I don't know how you'd cope without your phone and your social media. That would be a challenge for you. You'd have to prepare yourself for that. But I think maybe I'd probably just start with a a nice power walk up a small hill. One of your power walks, yes. Power walking. Let's do that. Um, but I do think it's amazing how many women we're hearing from that we, you know, we just discover or rediscover our confidence mm. in midlife to try new things. I mean, you do have to start small sometimes and gradually yeah. build up to doing things out of your comfort zone. Um, we've had quite a few posts about trying new things. Helen posted about going for new moon yoga on the beach, and she'd been a bit negative about doing it at first. A bit like me and one of my Marion, maybe at the cinema. Well, you would be worried about the sound. I and would all that be situation. worried about the sand yeah. getting in uncomfortable places. Um, she was worried about the rain, kind of coming up with reasons not to do yeah. it. Yeah. But she then did it and she absolutely loved her experience. So well done, Helen. Yeah, well, I think we should all be trying these new things and not overthinking them, Trish. Just putting that out there again for you. <laughs> not overthinking them. Anyway, I loved Linda Dunn's poem on the Facebook page as well. It was a poem about her book club, or should I say wine club? It sounded yes. like <laughs> a lot of book clubs are really it was secret lovely. wine clubs, I think, aren't they? It's what I call a soft reminder that we are all in this perimenopause, menopause, midlife thing together. I think everyone should go and watch it because it really made me smile. She read it out, didn't she? She videoed she did. it. She did. She read it really well, and it summed up why we need to stick together and offer each other advice which we will be getting plenty of from today's guest, who is the author, Catherine May. Um, She'll be joining us a little bit later on. She wrote a book 
it's about three years ago, I think, that we were all talking about. It was called Wintering, How I Learned to Flourish When Life Became Frozen. And she's got a follow-up book called Enchantment, which we're going to be talking to her about. And we've been keen to get her on for a while to chat about the softening, which we all experience in mm. life, which we have talked about, but want to keep talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think our generation, as we've discussed, are a little burnt out or overwhelmed um, in some cases. And we do need sort of this lovely guidance, um, which is why I'm looking forward to chatting to Catherine, because she learned a lot writing her new book, Enchantment. But before we get there, do you want to uh, share some uplifting waffle, (laughs) our own softening? one of our (laughs) trademarks, I think, hopefully. Uplifting waffle. The menopausal Morecambe are wise with uplifting waffle. Good description of the show. Um, but this time, this episode, we're going to be recommending three lovely things for summer, or whenever you feel like doing them, having them, buying them. So here we are, we're at the jibber jabber waffle section of the show, but we have some practical and useful things to recommend. Yes. Um, little things that you might like to try that will give you will give you an uplift in life. Now, Trish, kick it off. I'm kicking off with a bit of fashion, fashion. I bought a dress and I bought a jacket. We had a bit of a splurge, didn't we? You came with yeah, me. I came we went with you. To me and M. Now I don't think I've bought anything like fancy for I don't know, 1902. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Long time ago. I'm going to a wedding in uh, June. It's a wedding outdoors in a marquee. Well, this was the problem for this you, was wasn't it? Problem. This was the issue. Did I need a coat? Should I wear heels? What if it rained? Would it be hot? Would it be cold? Exactly. All the catastrophizing that you was had occurring. To go and all I was of that with me. <laughs> had to go through that patiently, I may you say. You did. But me and Em, we decided that was the perfect shop for yeah. me to go to, didn't we, uh, for finding something. And I did indeed. I found this beautiful kind of, well, it's supposed to be a midi dress, but of course was floor length on me. Yeah. But it did work, didn't it? Lovely. It did. It's called um, Petal Burst Print. It's very pretty, sort of pale pink, long. How yeah. would you describe it? Floaty, lovely. And then I've got to have a ja- white little blazer jacket. And you told me I need to sort of pull the sleeves up. Yeah, and also a white jacket, Yeah, though it sounds crazy, is actually super, super useful for everything. So, yes. you know, you'll be able to wear it. So you like to get re-wear out of your stuff, especially if you're yes. investing over 25p in anything, don't you, Trish? Mm-hmm. So um, that dress you'll be able to wear a million times to a million yes. things. And then you've got your little jacket, which you can wear to yes. other things as and well. But you did come out with a specific thing in mind, which is always good when shopping. Yeah, but what was, what was fun was that you made me try on all sorts of things that I would I never did. have tried on. That that really deep violet dress, which I would never in a million years Lovely think that colour. So the dress wasn't right, but the colour was good. So I learned something new there. And funnily enough, someone on the, when I came back and checked in on the Facebook group that afternoon, someone on the group was asking about about a dress to wear to their daughter's wedding on a beach somewhere hot and sunny and we felt that like actually there were so many things so it's a little bit price it's a little bit price about 300 pounds for a dress but i think for Worth a special it, occasion and a blazer but beautiful beautifully tailored blazer for about 300 pounds so it was a splurge and i can borrow it as well my purchase <laughs> yes i'll lend it to you i won't spill any beetroot down it you'll be no, all right with please. that Mm. What have you got then? Uh, I was at the Lido, as you know, as I am, you know. Always at the Lido. The more stressed my life gets, the more time I'm in that cold water, frankly. So I was in the cafe getting my my lovely coffee and I noticed some little prints by the Mm -hmm. till. They were ranging from sort of £8 to kind of framed ones around £55. And I thought that's a bit interesting if you like swimming and the Lido means something to you. So I Googled the artist. Um, She's called Becky Bauer, B-A-U-R, and it's beckybauer.co.uk. UK. And she's worked with loads and loads of brands. Um, She usually works with textile brands and she does book covers for Thames and Hudson. It's hard to buy things for people in midlife because they've Mm. got stuff. And I always think art is really lovely because you're, it's constantly around you and it's, it gives you a little sense of awe every now and again. So I bought quite a few little prints for people because I've got some significant birthdays coming oh, up. Um, I wonder whose. It's not yours. Oh, mine? What do you mean not mine? <laughs> what, your swimming hat? Trish, oh, with Marianne written on it. <laughs> anyway, Becky Bauer thought it was a lovely thing. Oh. Nice to mention. Have a Google on her website and see if there's anything for presents or just lovely stuff to buy yourself to cheer yourself up. Well, I think there's a link here because I'm going to be talking next about a range that Habitat have done with the Royal Botanic Gardens, Kew Gardens. It's sort of in the in the theme of really beautiful kind of illustration and design. 
It's a range of lovely, lovely plates, cake stands, teapots, cup saucers, all inspired by Kew Gardens, obviously, and really lovely floral prints, leaf prints, that kind of thing. Habitat's an interesting one because I think we were all mad about it, weren't we, sort of back in the 90s. It's not part of Sainsbury's now. Well, that's what I was going to say. It is part of it. I think Sainsbury's own it now, don't they? But the first ever item I think I bought for like this tiny shoebox flat that Neil and I were living in back in the 90s was a tablecloth and napkins from Habitat which I still have and still use to this very day. Can you believe it? But I do feel like I kind of lost touch with them. And then I spotted it in my local Big Sainsbury's. And um, it was really would nice I, to see them doing such lovely would things. Would I be buying a present for a certain birthday oh, there, maybe? Wow. That might be better, mm, mightn't That it? could be. But yes, very nice presents, lovely tea towels, napkins, all of that. And not expensive at all. I think the teapot's about £25 and a cup and saucer is £10. So we'll get there now because that will set out incredibly. Yeah. Quickly. Good. I've got some homey, homey stuff as well. This will yeah. surprise you. So I was round at my friend's house because I go for a walk on a Friday, as you know, every Friday mm-hmm. with one of my mum friends. And uh, I potted over to her kitchen table to give her a lovely bunch of flowers to sniff, Trish. Oh, yes. Not real. Not real flowers. Fake flowers. Yes. And I was a little bit sniffy. I said, Ruth, where have these come from, these fake flowers mm. of yours? And she said, Everybody that's come in the house has sniffed. They look so real. They were white hydrangeas. Yeah. And I thought, what a beautiful thing to have in, in the house. A little bit extravagant buying them because yes. they're quite expensive, aren't they, if you buy yes. them fresh? Mm-hmm. She had got them, three of them, for £15 each from Truva, T-R-O-U-V-A website. Yes. And I can't tell you how realistic they were. Oh, so I bought myself some immediately. Oh, you've done it. Oh, yeah. right. I bought them for my bathroom because we don't have any windows in the bathroom, so you yes. can't really... It's difficult putting flowers in a bathroom so you can't have plants or anything in there. And the people, the people say when they go to use the loo, they say, oh, it's lovely having some fresh flowers in the bathroom. I say, no, not fresh flowers. (laughs) You just have to remember to dust them, all those petals. They'll get a bit uh, dusty. Well, somebody will dust them, Trish. One of my many assistants will dust them. (laughs) Yes. What have you got for me? Well, I've got another homey one because obviously I've been on a, a homes vibe for a, a little while, oh, I'm trying to, to see any of these. No, there'll be a like grand, a grand opening. Maybe a soft launch before. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Um, my little do, do you mean I'm... rosé soaked drinking parties? <laughs> that possibly what you mean? Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's summer yeah. after all. But actually, funnily enough, on the way to me and M, where I was meeting you, I walked past a new store by Jonathan Adler. He's that very sort of glammy US interior designer. He's obviously just opened this new store in London, totally out of my league price-wise. But he has a, a collection of very affordable rugs at Ruggable. Have you heard of Ruggable? I have heard of Ruggable, but yes. I haven't explored well, Ruggable. Ruggable. It's an online-only rug, so you have to. it's a bit of a kind of blind faith. You've got to order it and then I think they make returns yeah. very easy if you don't like it. But the sort of USP of them is, is they're actually quite thin and you attach them to this uh, mat underneath. And the point of them being thin is A, obviously they're cheaper, and B, you can fold them up and shove them in the washing machine because you know how filthy they get with all those teenagers and dog paws and cat paws. So I have ordered a Jonathan Adler rug. It's about £400, but lots of good reviews. And they have great collections with people like Iris Apfel. Really interesting. So I hope... What colour is it, Trish? What does it look like? Well, it's kind of neutral with a, oh gosh, a sort of graphic stripey thing, which is going to go under my kitchen table. Cat proof? I thought even if it's not cat proof, Margot, dirty paws, I can just, oh, will she claw it? Puff her out. Oh, Oh, no. I mean, get rid of her. Oh, no. Get rid of of my nemesis. No. So there we are. Jonathan Agler at ruggable.co.uk. Got it. I got one very small, sounds quite boring, but actually quite transformational, very, very useful also for people who go swimming a lot and have to carry a small brush with them wherever they go, because otherwise they come out of the Lido, take their ridiculous ear covering hat off and look like some crazy scientist. Anyway, I have a 12 pound detangled brush Mm. from Hershison's. Now, I'll tell you what's different about it, Trish. You might think she's gone mad. That's boring. Why mention it? It's got a handle. It's like a tangle teaser, but it's got a handle. Right. You might not remember when you used to do Esme's hair, but I'm still doing my 12-year-old's hair occasionally in the morning. It's very long, plaiting it. Those tangle tease brushes, you can fly across the room at 100 miles an hour every time you use them, and you end up just stroking the hair or falling forward. And I keep thinking, I've got to get one of these detangle brushes where it doesn't fly all over the place or I don't drop it. 
I have found one with a handle. It's oh. bright blue. It's really brilliant. It's very useful. Purchasing small detangled brush with handle. Oh, well, that's blue. nice for you because that's going to be, you've only got another year of that, I'd say, and she's not going to let you do it anymore. So it will be your last, yeah, your last hair brushing. I know, I know. She's slightly yes. reluctant now, but I like what I do is I just sort of hold her ankles all the time. Mm. You know, I'm just gripping onto her yeah. all the time. <laughs> don't I don't think go. it's affecting her psychologically at all. I think no, she'll be fine. I'm sure, I'm sure it's not. So you <laughs> mentioned scientists. I'm just going to mention something very, very quickly because I heard this on the radio and I just, I actually loved this. I thought it was fabulous. It's about becoming a citizen scientist. This isn't a lovely thing to buy. This is a lovely thing to do. Can I experiment on people? Is that what you're saying? Well, you can listen to the sounds of space. Imagine that. You can tune in. It's called the HARP Project, which is funded by NASA. It's all about listening to these plasma vibrations caused by the sort of solar winds from the sun hitting Earth's magnetic field. And they, they want us to listen to it because they can't monitor it all over the world, every place in the world, all at the same time. So they they want citizen scientists to do it. And the sounds, I feel like you could fall asleep listening. It's all crackly and soft. It's really nice. Is this, um, this is not a gullible Trish situation, <laughs> is it? This is not something Neil and Kit have told <laughs> you, you is a real thing. And they've recorded no. themselves breaking yes. wind and <laughs> they're telling you it's like that. the sound of Mars. Well, no, because I heard it on the radio. And okay. the website is listen.spacescience.org. A nice thing to do with Mabel. She Good, because the other... in science. She is. She likes the there Star Walk app. Because the other go. thing I've entered you for, Trish, is that one-way trip to Mars. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. us who have felt a sense of overwhelm with the never-ending hustle of everyday life or have hit burnout and questioned who we really are and how we want to be in this world, this week's guest, the writer Catherine May, has some answers. The best-selling author's most recent books, Wintering, How I Learned to Flourish When Life Became Frozen, and Enchantment, Awakening Wonder in an Anxious Age, are beautiful meditations on life in which she manages to not only articulate the feelings most of us would find impossible to put into words, but she also guides us to think more clearly through the small details of her own day-to-day experiences. Catherine spent most of her career in education before ill health opened an unexpected door, allowing her to follow her lifelong passion to be a full-time writer. She now lives by the sea in Whitstable with her husband H and their son Bert, She joins us today to share the gentle wisdom she has gained through life, including a late autism diagnosis in her 30s, and why now at 45, she feels she has hit life's sweet spot. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Catherine. Hi, thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Oh, well, there's so much to talk about, but we'd like to start with the now. Tell us what's going on for you in life at the moment and how has your morning been so far? Because you said in another interview that you felt like this life stage was your kind of sweet spot. So what is going on <laughs> in life now? There's not much going on. And I think that's kind of what I like about it. Like I, I, <laughs> I'm in a very happy routine at the moment. So my son is taking his sats this week, which is not ideal in my opinion. So we've spent a week trying to do lots of soothing things for him in the mornings and evenings. And this morning I took myself out for a lovely walk in the woods because I really wanted to catch the bluebells while they're at their height. But like I needed to walk up a hill today. I was tired and I was stressed and I was fed up. So I took myself up a lovely hill, got my legs nice and tired. And yeah, I saw some beautiful bluebells. So I've had a good morning. Sounds lovely. (laughs) Now, just to take you away from that lovely peaceful (laughs) zone that you were in. (laughs) Can 
we talk about burnout? Because mm. it's on the radio, it's in the papers. We're Gen X and it seems to be that this word, whatever it means for everybody, is is everywhere at the moment. And it is something you talk about. And I guess what I'd like you to explain for our listeners is what you think's going on and how burnout manifested itself in your life. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something in the air, isn't it? And I think, I mean, I think we thought we'd done with the whole pandemic era and that all the stresses of that time were over. But it seems to me at the moment that there's this new wave of burnout coming in. And that is the people who were the copers during the pandemic, the people who were holding things together for everybody else, who were kind of, you know, managing big teams or making everything okay for families. And I've noticed that a lot in people with our kind of jobs in the media, who I think also felt like they had to make everything okay for our audiences. You know, we had to be the ones that were making sense of everything and and putting stuff into context and soothing everyone, providing the right content that people needed. And there's these new waves coming through of people who've just reached the limit of what they can manage. It hit me earlier than other people, I think. Uh, It hit me kind of mid-pandemic, mid-lockdown, in the second lockdown, when I really just got to the point when everything felt like a blur. My brain felt so fogged up that I just couldn't think straight. And time was like skipping, like whole hours would pass without me noticing. And one of the big manifestations for me was that I found that I couldn't read. And that was something that I, you know, that I turn to to soothe myself. And and also like, it's a way that I'm in contact with my community. If I'm reading, I'm in dialogue with other writers while I'm sitting quietly with a book. Um, and yeah, so that hit me very, very hard. And when I began to talk about it, I realized that loads of other people seem to have lost their ability to read during that time. And, and still now, still lots of people are struggling right now. So yeah, it definitely visited me. So Trish and I are 10 years older than you. Trish's a little bit older than me, just a tiny bit older. (laughs) Um, Does she say that every time, Trish? Yeah, yeah. I can't resist it. I can't resist it. I like to see her little face smile. Um, But our generation have experienced this burnout in our kind of midlife years as well. So maybe sort of in our late 40s. We didn't know about soothing. (laughs) We didn't know about regulating our moods. We didn't know about any of these things. But you talk about it quite beautifully in the book and this sense, you know, finding these moments of awe and all of that. How Mm. how would you advise, I know you're not a guru, but how would you advise (laughs) a midlife woman and a slightly older woman perhaps to bring it into their lives? Yeah, I think there's something in there about changing the habit of a lifetime, you know, and, and actually looking towards your own needs. And the reason that's important is because we will carry on looking after other people. Like that's what we do. And that's actually what we want to do at the base of it. But we want to do that in a way that is supported and that's sustainable for us. And I think this world that we're in means that we've really hit the limits of what is sustainable and, and what we can actually cope with. And so everybody needs to find the thing or the the many things that make them feel soothed. And a lot of people probably know that already, but won't be doing it. (laughs) So swimming is a big soothing activity for me. Walking, definitely. And I love cooking. If I can do some cooking that isn't the horrible, like rushed cooking where everyone's got to get their tea really quickly and and everyone's nagging me. Like that's not soothing cooking. But if I can get an afternoon in the kitchen where I'm like maybe baking or working through like a really slow process, like making pickles or something, that is lovely time for me, lovely quiet time in my head. And what all of those things have in common is they're not hard. You know, like they don't require brain power to do them, but they're also taking me into my body. The rhythm of walking, I find really helpful. And I also find the fact that it physically tires me out really useful. I find the sensory landscape of swimming outdoors so soothing, so consoling. And it's partly the feeling of the water on my skin. It's partly the beautiful soundscape around me. It's partly the feeling of moving my body without gravity pulling it down quite so hard. Like all of those things are lovely. I love baking bread while I'm cooking because the kneading is really soothing for my hands. Like all of those things, you can do stuff with your body that just takes you down a notch, just calms your your mind and there's a there's a physical input. 
But in Enchantment, I take it one step further and talk about trying to learn to engage with our sense of awe and wonder and fascination mm-hmm. as a route into not just soothing ourselves in the moment, but creating a life that is more sustainable in a kind of intellectual and emotional sense, as well as a spiritual sense, like addressing our whole self every day, all the time, rather than just hiving off that experience for like once a year and and hoping that that will do us. Mm -hmm. It doesn't tide us over. We need more than that. And there's a beautiful um, passage in the opening chapter of the book, actually, that really struck me, which um, we just talked about. And we'd love you to read that out for Mm -hmm. us if you would mind. So this is from In the Depths of Burnout. I've lost some fundamental part of my knowing, some elemental human feeling. Without it, the world feels like tap water left overnight, flat and chemical, devoid of life. I'm like lightning seeking earth. Uneasy, I carry the prickle of potential energy in my limbs ever deferred from that point of contact, the moment of release. Instead, it gathers in me, massing like a storm that never comes. I lack the language to even describe it, this vast unsettled sense that I'm slipping over the glassy surface of things, afraid of what lurks beneath. I need a better way to walk through this life. I want to be enchanted again. Enchantment is small wonder magnified through meaning, fascination caught in the web of fable and memory. It relies on small doses of awe, almost homeopathic, those quiet traces of fascination that are found only when we look for them. It is the sense that we're joined together in one continuous thread of existence with the elements constituting this earth, and that there is a potency trapped in this interconnection, a tingle on the border of our perception. It's the forgotten seam in our geology, the elusive particle that binds our unstable matter, the ability to sense magic in the everyday, to channel it through our minds and bodies, to be sustained by it. Oh, that's gorgeous. I think it's giving me tinglies. I think it's so <laughs> lovely when an author reads from their book, an author like you, who's just, you know, writes so beautifully. I don't know where it all flows from. It's amazing. So this book and the previous book has built a huge community around you. And I wondered if people had told you about the ways they'd found or in their lives. Have you got any lovely stories to share? Oh, yeah. People tell me all, all the time. And it's just amazing. I mean, the sheer diversity of how people go out into the world and make that connection. And last week I asked how people celebrated May Day because I went out and saw Jack in the Green being woken up on Whitstable Seafront, which was quite a, a wonderful experience. And one of my favourite ones that came back to me then, I always ask like what everyone else has done. There are a lot of people who go out and wash their face in the dew on the lawn or on oh. plants uh, on the 1st of May which struck me as such a beautiful tradition. And everyone was sort of saying, oh, well, I, ha- I couldn't find any grass. So like I used some leaves, <laughs> you know, or like <laughs> I found some moss, that was fine too. That's what's really important to note actually, that there's no one way to ever do these things. And to hear that, like, I'm totally gonna go and wash my face in the dew next year because yeah. it's such a beautiful, tiny thing. And it's a way to connect and it's a way to engage all your senses. But uh, yeah, People do the most magnificent things and they often think that they're so insignificant and so silly or unimportant. And and actually, they're the things that keep us going. (laughs) You also have a a podcast, Catherine, called How We Live Now. And uh, at the beginning of the recording, it's you recording yourself, isn't it? Going on a walk through, say, the woods. You were foraging for mushrooms on an episode that I listened to it or listening specifically to the sounds of the birds or the smell of the rain. It's just so soothing and calming. Mm. It's really beautiful. But I'm quite interested to know, how did you learn to be so present in the moment? Because for so many of us, I could go into a wood, but my mind will be racing. My inner critic will be going. I'll be doing my to-do list, my shopping list. How do you recommend to people, advise people? What can you share about being present? I think the first thing to say is that that's okay. Like if your mind is racing, that's what your mind needs to do. I mean, I learned to meditate, oh goodness, about 18 years ago now, which I think was a, a huge moment of change in my life. And one of the first things that the teacher taught us was that we were all bringing this assumption into the room that we'd have to clear our minds and that we were only 
operating in a meditative way or a mindful way if we had an empty head. And he explained to us that actually those racing thoughts are exactly what you bring into meditation. And as I practiced it, what I learned was that I just needed space to process those thoughts. I was so often pushing them away and saying like, not now, I can't handle this now, or I don't have time for these thoughts, or these thoughts are not great. These thoughts are not like the the kind of mindset I should be in. Whereas actually quite often what I do when I sit down to meditate or when I go out to walk is process those thoughts one by one. I think at the beginning of being outside, it's often quite helpful to have a piece of paper in your pocket or a voice recorder and to just park anything that comes up because they're all vying for your attention and they need it. But at the same time, being in that place and just noticing the things around you can just distract you a bit and and take you into a different space. And one of the things I've been like gradually doing over time is trying to learn the name of every plant and tree that I come across. I I didn't come into this life with that sort of knowledge. I don't have a family that passed that on to me. But now whenever I spot something that I don't know the name of, I look it up and I learn that name. And that really helps to anchor me when I'm out because then I see that plant and I say, oh, it's Jack in the Hedge or it's Shepherd's Purse rather than, yeah, there's another plant, let's carry on. (laughs) It's a really different encounter. And and it's questing. And and when you do that, you notice more and more layers of detail every time. You know, you notice the big plants, you've learned the names of those ones, but then there's these smaller ones and you're like, "Mm, I don't think I know which one that is. Um, and that's definitely true of mushroom hunting as well. Like later in the in the year, in the autumn, I've, uh, I'm gradually learning my mushrooms. There's a lot of them though. So it's going to take me a long time, but that's great because that's going to keep me busy. <laughs> that's, I like the word questing. Um, mm. Now we have had several guests uh, on our podcast who are midlife women who talk about discovering they are autistic or have ADHD. We had Angela Barnes, the comedian, uh, talk Angela. about that. Or talk about being neurodivergent. And I know that's something you have written about and you talk about Mm. a lot. Can you talk us a little bit back through your journey and explain how you felt about your diagnosis? And I guess how you, you you said you always felt felt different from a very young child, but discovering Mm. it later in life as a woman with all the other stuff we need to deal with, how did that feel for you? I mean, it was a shock and a relief at the same time, I suppose. Mm. Uh, It was an immediate sense of homecoming and an immediate feeling of finally being part of a group that I understood and that I identified with and whose responses to the world made sense to me. But at the same time, you know, there was a lot to process. So I wrote about this in my book, uh, The Electricity of Every Living Thing. I processed it by going on a very long walk around the Southwest Coast path. And I went through every emotion about it. And for a long time, I sort of woke up every morning and had to remind myself that this new bit of information, this very like fundamental bit of information had landed. But it opened up the possibility for me in the first time in my life to kind of look after myself, to actually address my needs as I was feeling them, rather than the needs I'd been told I should have if I were a neurotypical person. And I'm not, and I have different needs. And the only way to live like a kind of happy and contented life for me is to address them rather than to keep faking being something that I'm not. So, you know, I see it as a hugely positive revelation, even if it was hard to process. And I now sit very happily in a community of other people like myself, which I I just didn't have the opportunity to, to do before. How did you find out? Did you go and go to your GP? How do you get a diagnosis? Because I know a lot of women will be asking that. Um, is this mm. what's, you know, there's so much going on in midlife. Is this what's wrong with me or what I need to, you know, would this help to know? How, how practically, what's your advice? Yeah, for me, um, I was driving along the road one day and I heard a woman being interviewed on the radio about being autistic. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever heard somebody talking from the inside, like talking from inside experience rather than observed from the outside. And I I felt like I knew what autism was and suddenly I didn't and I recognised myself in it immediately. So she was talking about, you know, struggles with relationships across the course of her life, of feeling profoundly different, 
of of the sort of sensory world being very tricky for her. And those are the things that autistic people talk about when they talk about their internal experience rather than the external observations of people who are not autistic. I had this immediate sense of connection and of of recognition. Uh, And then I went out and did loads of research. Um, And at the time, there weren't many accounts. I mean, one of the reasons why I wrote my book about it was because I couldn't find many accounts of adult women talking about what it was like in in any kind of detail. And I, I wanted to write that. But that's what I really needed, actually. I wanted to have that mirror, have that mirror to myself that other people take for granted. So that helped a lot. Thank goodness for the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, I went to my GP and talked through it. And again, like it's changed even in the short time since I identified, but I had to explain the latest research to every professional that I came in contact with. And in particular, my psychiatrist, who uh, was convinced that autistic people couldn't be creative. It's I mean, disappointing, a, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, but also the whole autism research world had never been led by autistic people it had been led by people who found autistic people actually quite unappealing and annoying and who pinned a lot of very negative values onto us that weren't necessarily the case and also who hadn't cast their net wide enough to to speak to people like me you know they they only were dealing with cases that that they felt were kind of pathological it's changing but it's changing very slowly but yeah, I've uh, I've been involved in some research in, at the University of Kent with Professor Nikki Shaughnessy, who has who's shown that like one of the hallmarks of autistic teenage girls is how creative they are. Like it's it's actually fundamental to autism. Which is um, not what and, we're told, is it? We're we're told no. that you know, particularly with teenage girls when they're undergoing such massive neurological mm. changes. Anyway, we're told that it's quite rare and. They learn to mimic all these things that might feel very old fashioned to be being told now. What advice have you got for parents around it? I think the truth is that it's still really hard to get good quality information about it, honestly. And I, from talking to people across the country, across the world, the experience is so variable. And I would always urge people to look to the autistic community itself, to, to look at first-hand accounts. Is there a talk. society or an organisation, Catherine Weekend? There is the Autistic Society, yeah. yeah. And they are, I mean, I think we're lucky in the UK, they're much more focused on uh, autistic people rather than on curing us and, and trying to yeah. eradicate us from the gene pool because the major US charity is very, very different to that and kind of, extols a lot of really unpleasant therapies that are very harmful to autistic people but but we're really lucky with autism uk but what they don't tend to focus on is adults they they still tend to be pointed a little bit more towards parents with children so they there's nowhere still where anyone can turn and get that really clear picture unfortunately um but i have got a resource on my website that i can uh, i can give you a link to if anyone wants to click through that's got like lots of different books that you could read and websites and blogs and and different things you could go to because one important thing to say about autism is that it's so diverse within that that kind of umbrella so there's certain autistic people that i feel like i've got much more in common with than others because we we have kind of similar experiences and so you you do have to do a little bit of hunting around still to find that that vision of like yeah that's me that's exactly how I feel about the world yeah and we have a lot of women posting on our Facebook group about their neurodivergent or uh, potentially autistic teenage daughters specifically Mm I mean, looking back on your teen years, is there something, mm. I mean, you've, you've obviously talked about a bigger picture and where you can get help yeah. and information, but just on a day-to-day parenting, mm. a teenage girl, is there anything maybe you wish your parents had done differently or any advice, anything that would have helped you as a teenage girl? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you have to listen really closely because a lot of the things that, that teenagers will present if they're autistic will seem like on the surface of it might seem kind of fussy, might seem like unnecessarily rebellious, awkward, difficult. Like they're the labels that we often, you know, have pinned onto us as as autistic teenagers. Whereas if you actually listen closely to those reactions and sometimes like very angry reactions as well that can feel quite kind of aggressive and overwhelming to deal with, 
often behind them there are very basic struggles with with the world that they're having to deal with so it might be that they're struggling with pressure at school and and certainly relationships uh with with other kids that will be like a hallmark of of the autistic experience they might be struggling with the sensory input of of a classroom you know schools are incredibly noisy they're incredibly like physically hustle bustle they smell strongly which is not obvious to neurotypical people always and so quite often teenagers are, are really struggling with the sensory inputs that they're having to deal with on a daily basis. And they might not even know how to voice that because their experiences will have been overridden so many times in a world that's told them that this is just all normal. Everyone else copes. That's absolutely fine. And so I think what I'd say to parents is that, like, take some time to unravel their experiences and really listen. And sometimes, you know, a full on meltdown can be about a, an itchy seam in the back of a T-shirt. Like I know socks. that from, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. socks is a huge socks one. Socks is a massive one, yeah. <laughs> socks is a massive one. Yeah, tight shoes, uh, bag straps that are annoying, the clank of trays in the school canteen. And, you know, parents will be thinking there must be more to this because we're all amateur <laughs> psychologists these days. But actually huge reactions can come from what other people might see as really tiny, tiny sensory stimuli, which seem enormous and painful to us. Thank you for that. That's really helpful. Now, you've also had some ongoing health issues yourself, which you write about in the book. I can't say it's Menez. Oh, Menez, yeah. Menez. How does that affect your day? And how do you kind of motivate yourself to be so positive because you are really positive and I think if I was ill like you've been ill and, and how you describe it in the book I'd be a right old grump and I'd find it quite <laughs> difficult to be well I mean obviously I have my grump moments my <laughs> well uh, so Menier's disease is an inner ear condition and it's mm. genetic like I inherited it from my dad it's really um, debilitating yeah it is it, it really really can be and um, after I had COVID it got a lot worse So what it means is that uh, I just get very, very dizzy. But the weird thing about Menyes is it's like this this intense dizziness that's triggered like a migraine. And it can last for up to like, uh, I mean, quite often five days for me, sometimes a week. And in that time, I'm pretty much incapacitated. Like the, the advice is always to lie at a 45 degree angle, which is fine. But like, there's not a lot you can do lying at a 45 degree angle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I like I found it very hard to hold down a full time job when I was working at a university. It was it was really disruptive. I do have better drugs now and they work pretty well most of the time, um, but it still hits me every now and then. And you just have to surrender to it when it comes. I mean, there's in a way like it's really helpful once you reach that point of surrender, because there is little you can do when it visits you other than lie down. And, and like other people find that really hard, right? Because if you say to people, <laughs> I'm having a menu's attack, I'm lying down, they say, well, haven't you been to your doctor? And it's like, no, because if I went to my doctor, my doctor would be like, yes, you've got menu's disease, go and lie down. <laughs> like that's the, that's the feedback loop here. <laughs> but actually, if, if you're living with that reality, and I, you know, I know that's true for other people with different chronic illnesses, you learn that you have to give into it. There's, there, there's no choice. And in that act of giving in, I actually find some kind of spaciousness sometimes. I mean, I I live life in a massive hurry, but sometimes everything has to stop. I can't even watch TV. It makes me too dizzy. And I certainly can't like read a book or check my emails. You know, <laughs> that would be that would, would be... make me so angry. I mean, I think that might be my default <laughs> setting. But are you, are you sensing a pattern here, Catherine? <laughs> like, I'm very, very cross about like stuff a little kind of time. blue bottle buzzing against the window. Yeah. But you, That's but me. actually, you'd go through that. That's the thing. I mean, I think everyone who who gets struck by an illness like that goes through that phase, and then you realise it's pointless. You can't keep mm. being angry at it. And there's some funny sort of sideways things I appreciate about it now, because when I have that time, I process a lot of things. Like I'll often come out of a menu's attack with a a new creative Mm. idea or having like made a decision that has been hovering around the back of my head for ages. And so now I, there's there's like a sneaking little bit of me that's like, oh, I have to give in for a few days. Okay, here we go. What's going to come out of it? 
I work for myself now. And that's an important aspect of that. I can make everything stop without feeling like I'm letting the universe down. And, I, you know, my life is structured around being able to stop if I have to. Can we ask you about your tattoos? Oh, sure. <laughs> I was looking at a picture of them yes. in their Guardian. They're amazing. I love the tattoo. Yes. It's really hard to show them from this what angle. What do they mean? Where are they what, from? When did you... Are they seaweed? Seaweed. They're just seaweed. Wow. Yeah, they're blood and they're rack. on the inside um, of your um, on the insides, arms. yeah, which okay. makes it really impossible to show. Look, I can just about yeah, do that. Yeah, I can see it. You can see it in some of your Instagram posts. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. Whenever someone asks me to show them, I'm always like, ooh, I'm not sure how that happens. Um, yeah, they're, they're, uh, I wanted a tattoo that talked about swimming, really, and my love mm-hmm. of swimming in the sea. And actually, like seaweed, I, I adore seaweed, mm. and I know loads of people hate it and hate walking through it to get into the sea. But I think it's so beautiful and I love sort of seeing it swirling around. Um, and I guess there's a little bit of me that wanted this, this part of the sea with me all the time. But maybe this unloved part of the sea, like maybe it's nice to, to have an act of acceptance to something that is otherwise shunned in mainstream mm-hmm. society. <laughs> Can I ask you about being alone? So Trish and I, we've known each other for 7,008 years. And, um, <laughs> but she's older than you, right? She's way older than you, <laughs> by, by many months, many days. She loves being alone. In fact, Trish has just spent a whole weekend nearly alone. Amazing. It's her dream. Mm-hmm. So First when she said to me, mm-hmm. I'm going to be on my own all weekend, I got a, mm-hmm. quite a triggering sense of fear and panic <laughs> and horror on her behalf because I love people and absorbing everything Mm. all that energy into me and I feel like I'm not being fed if I'm not around lots of people that's why I've had so many children etc etc but (laughs) I have become older and realized that I do really need to be alone a bit more to do the processing that you talk about Mm. how do you switch to that more solitary mindset because you're very good at it it's fine it's no problem I don't know like I'm just (laughs) constantly craving it it doesn't feel like a switch it just feels like a ah Yeah. And that's, it's interesting is that, I mean, it's like the Susan Cain kind of quiet book is so Mm. revelatory about that, that introverts are recharged by solitude and by quiet and extroverts are recharged by people. Uh, Like another thing that kind of came with my autism identification, you know, I'd told myself all my life that successful, good, useful people loved the contact with other people, were good team players, love parties, like all that stuff that uh, that comes comes with that territory. And now I'm just allowed to say, mm, I don't like too much time with people. I find it really exhausting. I love people individually, but I can't eat a whole room of them. And I, I desperately need that solitude to settle myself actually. And I have to get it, you know, like I'm a parent too, like I have to get it in fairly small bursts. It's not something that I get loads of. My son's 11. In a few years time, I think I'll be able to go off on my own for whole weeks. But right now, that is not okay for him. So I have to take it where I can find it. (laughs) (laughs) But it is, it's, it's vital for me. I don't know. I mean, I like I wonder what my ultimate capacity would be for it, but I very rarely get lonely. It would take a lot for me to start really thinking, oh, I, I need some people now. I think I did hit that point in in the pandemic at certain moments, but um, that wasn't my overriding feeling about lockdown, I have to say. <laughs> now, you are um, you're hosting some retreats. They sound fabulous. And uh, do you want to tell us about those and, and what you hope anybody attending will get out of it? Oh, it's one of the things that I love to do the most is gather people together in a room and get everyone into a space where they're reflecting, really. It's almost like a conference about how to calm down. Like everybody gets to feed in and talk. And I I love facilitating. It's what I did before I was a writer. I facilitated a lot of courses and workshops. And for me, it's like communion. I so look forward to these moments. They're not quite the same as solitude, but they begin to feel a lot like it because everything starts to move much more slowly. Um, And we haven't got much to do quite deliberately. And we just take the pressure off. So, yeah, I cannot wait. I'm really, really ready, actually. (laughs) I think you should run conferences on how to calm down for everybody. Yes. (laughs) 
calming politicians for <laughs> men. <Yes. laughs> a conference on yeah. how to calm down, a national conference on how to calm down would be absolutely men, brilliant. Men don't tend to come to my workshops. I really, no. I really think they could, you know, but I think maybe you'd have to run a special one for men. Yes. With yeah. pictures of trucks on it or something. I don't know what to take them in. Oh, you've, you've been so amazing, Catherine. Can I just say, as a massive fan, that your mm. way of writing is so unique and individual. It's so beautiful. It's just oh, so, you. I think if anyone hasn't read any of your books, even if it doesn't, the subject doesn't resonate, the actual crafting of these books and the way they're structured together and the storytelling is, is really, really wonderful. So thank you. Oh, that's really nice. Thank you. Thank you so much, <laughs> Catherine. And we do actually have a copy of the book to give away on our Facebook oh. group, which is fantastic. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It's nice to meet you. If you'd like to get in touch with Lorraine and I, there are plenty of ways that you can do it. Why not send us an email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram. We always enjoy hearing from you, our lovely listeners, and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can. And you can also join us on our private Facebook group, which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife. All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trisha's questions to gain access to the group, where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. Right, I feel very soothed and calmed talking to Catherine, but it's uh, nostalgia noodle time now and we're cranking it up a notch, aren't we? We're going mad. We're going for some mayhem because... Can you do a theme tune singing situation, Trish? I think you can. We're going to be talking Muppets. Now, I know we've talked about Muppets in Nostalgia Noodle before, but we have to talk about them again because they've They've resurfaced. They were at the coronation, and there's this amazing new show called Muppets Mayhem on Disney, which is just incredible. I absolutely love it. Well, The Guardian Muppets. reviewed it. I mean, that's how seriously the Muppets are taken for our <laughs> yes. generation. Our generation. Yeah. About 47 years the Muppets have been in, in my life or our lives because they first broadcast in the UK in September 1976. I do, of course, have a celebrity Muppet story. Of course, we haven't had a name drop for such a a long time. I'm ready for this. Go for it. Are you ready? Go Um, for it. It's on the internet. You can find it if you Google. I think it's on YouTube somewhere. So when we built a brand new fashion cupboard at Elle magazine Mm. when I was editing it, it was a glass cupboard and we used it to do lots of exciting things in it. And a Muppet film was coming out. The Muppets were coming to town. So who do you think we interviewed in the cupboard uh, and put on the cover well, of a limited to, run of Elle magazine? Well, it has to be a fashion icon, so it has to be Miss Piggy. Yes, yes. we put Miss Piggy on the cover and we had the whole team, the Muppet building team. And when they built, they're, they're on rails. Yes. And we had I don't to say... Think, no, I don't know whether yeah. you should do this, destroy the magic because I, I think they talked about they're that. Real. Yes. Well, <laughs> anyway, we had to. Well, the magic real. was magic because we had yeah. to all leave the building for a day while they built Miss Piggy in, and she was just absolutely brilliant. She had oh. a little shopping trolley she'd filled with all the stuff off the off the yes. rails, all the Valentina and the D- Dior and everything, and she was just so so funny. It wasn't scripted. We said, "Do you want to help scripting it?" And they were like, "No, we've read the magazine. We know how to do this." She was brilliant. Honestly, as well, the whole building got to hear about it. And when we opened the fashion cupboard door, because we'd blacked out all of the windows, there were loads and loads of people who wanted to meet her. (laughs) Of course. She's a legend. She's she's an icon. I will put a picture on the old Instagram of me and Miss Piggy and the cover that we did. Yes. Uh, Why be you when you can be moi was the cover line. (laughs) Which Brilliant. I think we should all have on our gravestones. Definitely, but she—I don't think she's going to be making an appearance in this show because it is about the the house band. Do you remember yeah. the house band? Can you remember what they're called? When I thought I people likened me to a muppet, they always called me animal. From yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Doctor Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. It's it's about that band in LA now, and it's it's just a joy, and it's just silly, it's colourful, it's funny, it's kind of what we need, as well as the calming of the Catherine Mays of this world. We need the silly and the joy, don't we, to counterbalance yes. everything else. So that's like you that and me, is... Trish, isn't it? 
<laughs> the yin and the yang. calming, loving, soothing. <laughs> and I'm the silly, ridiculous bit of it all. Cross. 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 Oh, well, I do. Cross quite cross. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that brings us, doesn't it, nicely to the end of this week's episode. So we'd like to thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. As usual, we'd love to hear from you on our Facebook group or our Instagram. And you can email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. And we will speak to you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.